guys. What's going on? I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and I saw something at Harvard where Harvard University just hired its first black dean of students. Man, I applaud that. I think that's really great for him. And uh, But, you know, something really bothered me about it, and I'm going to explain to you why this kind of got to me a little bit and why, even though I applaud this brother for getting this job at Harvard, we really probably need to stop being um, happy when we get acknowledged by white folks. And I'm going to break that down for you, and I'm not going to be hateful, and I hope you'll listen and hear me out. Just hear me out. So get comfortable, buck up seatbelt. We're going to get started on drboystv.com right now. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now family, we the ones who got to delegate. Get that money and the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is blissful, we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and I wanted to come in and say hi to everybody. I see Bob's job and SGT, and I'm Tez, and uh, and all of you that are coming in here, OL, shout out the city that you're from. Let me know what city you're coming from. I want to say what's up to everybody on Instagram. My Instagram is the real Boyce Watkins. And in case you didn't know, this podcast is also on Spotify and Apple and anywhere you get your podcast. So if you'd rather listen as opposed to watch, uh, that's always an option. Uh, I just want you guys to know that you can go to Spotify. Just look up the Dr. Boyce breakdown and you will find me there. All right. So uh, Stefan from uh, St. Louis. Uh, let's see. I see Columbia, South Carolina, ATL. I've been in ATL a lot. Um, uh, my wife is actually doing her speed dating event at the Black House tonight on July 22nd, if you're listening live. And uh, she's trying to bring people together. She likes to match make. She believes that good people should find other good people. So you don't have to run around here dating assholes all the time because some of y'all are dating some horrible people. You know, just dating whatever the trash drags in, going down to waste management, looking for a man. Well, how about you go to a place where you can find some quality black men, quality black women, and uh, don't, not just judge women by the size of their booties so that's what she does and uh, if you want to learn more about her speed dating event tonight just go to boycewalkins.com the information is all there all right so with that being said let me give y'all let me jump in here and tell you guys what is on my mind today so i'm in philadelphia right and i'm looking out at this beautiful water and i'm sitting there picturing you know when i get a boat and I'm just coming down this this beautiful lake and such a beautiful city and i love this city brotherly love and all that stuff and i had a great time today and i was um i was actually driving with some nascar drivers which is the scariest shit ever uh we were driving Driving go karts. We, it wasn't real race cars, but it was uh, for the Urban Youth Racing School, which does a wonderful job promoting STEM. Uh, your kids really should know kind of what's going on in that that whole industry and science and race cars and all that. It's really cool. And uh, and so I'm driving with these NASCAR drivers, just scared to death because they, they're so fast. They go around the turns 100 miles an hour. I'm spinning out, hitting walls and all this other stuff. And uh, and I read this article. I read this article about uh, a guy who um, who uh, was just hired at Harvard. And uh, his name was Stephen Ball, I believe Stephen L. Ball. And Stephen was hired as the first black dean of, of students at Harvard University. 
And uh, let me just say this. I'm going to start this from the beginning. First of all, uh, before I move on, uh, give me a yes in the chat if you can hear me okay. Let me know, especially on Instagram also. Let me know if you guys can hear me. Let me know if you can hear me on Facebook, on YouTube and all that because I'm, I'm in a hotel room. and Sometimes the Wi-Fi is a little funny. So just give me a yes in the chat so I know I'm coming through okay. So Stephen gets hired as the first black dean of students at, at Harvard. And according to this article on blacknews.com, Stephen is the first black dean of students selected by Harvard in the school's 205-year history. So in 205 years, that's two centuries. That's a very long time. That's your great, great, great grandmother's great, great, maybe great, 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 great. I don't know. But long time ago, uh, 205 years ago. You, let's see. What was this? 2022. Uh, 205 years ago is what? 1822. So you're talking about slavery, right? So since slavery, when they started this school, this is the first black dean of students they've ever hired. So here's the first thing I want to say. I, I, I want to say this. And I'm probably going to repeat this just to make sure y'all don't think I'm really I'm uh, hating on what this brother did. I'm very proud of him. Uh, I want to make it real clear. I'm super happy for Stephen. I'm very proud of Stephen. I think Stephen is uh, deserving of this opportunity. I don't know him. I read his bio. He sounded like he's got, you know, he's done a lot, like he's worked hard. And God bless him. God bless Stephen. So I want everybody to just say, God bless Stephen. Way to go, brother. Congratulations. Let's give him a digital round of applause. I want to make sure we know that we start off this conversation by clapping for this brother because I don't want this to in any way come off as me saying that I'm not happy for him or that I don't applaud him or that I don't respect him. That is not what this conversation is all about. However, Scott! It's like we're doing the NASCAR drive. <laughs> like I was on the, I'm, I'm in a, a NASCAR driving mood now because I was mad because I was riding with this guy named Kyle Larson, who's literally the leader, the points leader in NASCAR. And he passed me up twice. So I'm really kind of mad at short white guys right now because this guy was so fast and so good. So I was like, Scott, let's hit the brakes right quick. And let's start really having a real conversation about this. And I'm explaining to you why this bothers me because I owe you the truth and I owe you honesty. <sighs> Here's what I'm thinking about, right? Okay. Now, you guys know I was on the faculty of Syracuse University. When I was on the faculty of Syracuse University, I don't think that they had ever promoted a black person in my department. In finance, uh, I, I don't know if eventually they gave tenure to a black man, but I wasn't the first one. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't get I wouldn't want them. I wouldn't want me around if I was them. I'm a little bit too black sometimes and I tell too much of the truth and the truth will get you in trouble. But the truth also sets you free. So if you're prepared to be free, then the truth is a wonderful thing. But if you can't handle freedom, then you probably need to stay in slavery, which means you need to keep lying and tell the white people what they want to hear or they will whoop you in your black ass. So. Given that I wasn't scared, I, I, I you know, I kind of said things I wanted to say and it didn't go so well. And we had a big fight and then I eventually moved on and, you know, did other things like, I don't know, make millions of dollars and live my best life and marry the girl of my dreams. But who's who's counting? So here's the deal. Um, I'm really getting sick and tired. Of us as black people. Feeling this need to really, really celebrate. When white people decide to acknowledge us. I, I just am. I, I want to ask y'all questions. So again, with with full respect to this brother for, for what he did, you know, first black dean of students at Harvard. I think that's really great. But I want you, I want to ask y'all a question. Give me a yes or no in the chat. I want everybody to answer. Everybody type yes or no. Please do this. Do you think that Stephen is the only brother in history in the last 200 years that's, that's been qualified to be the dean of students at Harvard University? Give me a yes or no in the chat. Do you believe that he is the first black man ever to be good enough? For this job like do you think that maybe there were other black men yes or no do you think he's the first one like you know what do y'all think yes or no okay well i mean because I, I think that it's important that we give respect to our hard-working ancestors see y'all y'all some of y'all negroes y'all y'all act like new negroes y'all think y'all the first one i'm the first black person to ever be qualified to get a job as a, a head manager at walmart they ain't never had no black idiot you ain't the first one somebody paved the way for your dumb ass stop bragging stop acting like your grandparents didn't have dreams too. 
Stop acting like your great, 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 great grandfather wasn't just as smart as you, you know, that wasn't just as capable as you, but he lived in a society that that wasn't the same society that you get to live in. So, so, so stop it. Stop acting like you the first. Because that's what they do. They they kind of they kind of mess with you at your head a little bit. Like, you know, you know, anybody ever seen this where you'll have a company like a, at a at a at a you know, some I don't know, some corporation, and it'll be like a hundred people in a certain department. And, and like one of them will be black, <laughs> like one of them will be black and out of, out of like 99 are white. And then they'll and then you'll go and maybe you, if you're if you ever want to get fired, you're like the black person who comes in and says, hey, why don't you hire more black people? And then they'll say something stupid. Has anyone ever heard this where they'll say, well, we've searched high and low. We searched the whole world. We went uh, to, uh, from coast to coast and all the way to the Amazon. And we can't find one qualified black person anywhere. Qualified black people are hard to find. Anybody ever heard that? Because I used to hear that. I used to hear that when I when I was it, when I get my PhD in finance. See, I'm a, I, I can brag about this, right? I was the only black person that year to get a PhD in finance in the country. I did not find another African American, male or female, anywhere on earth that got a PhD in finance in the year I got it in the year 2002. So this is the 20th year anniversary since I got my doctorate. It was hard as hell, and uh, and and it's it, it was that's what happened. And and I would hear people say that. I would hear literally with a straight face. Some white guys say, well, we've been searching for qualified black people. We just can't find them anywhere. <laughs> and and I and I used to believe that nonsense. You know, I used to believe that. I used to, you know, think like a new Negro. I used to think I'm, I'm the, I was the first one to be good enough. And, you know, and, and I think that that and one thing you got to understand is that that's a sneak diss. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? That's not a compliment to you. That's a diss on you and your people. Because think about this. They've had this job, you know, just look using my experience when I was at Syracuse. They have this damn job that has been done by hundreds, maybe thousands of white men. Thousands of white men have done this, but they literally swear in the last 100 years that they've searched high and low everywhere. They turned over every rock, looked at every every corner on the earth and can't find one black man anywhere or black woman anywhere smart enough to do this job. That's like they're like talking about you like you a damn monkey. Like we searched the whole world to find a monkey that could write and read, but we couldn't find none. Like that's an insult to you. That's not a compliment to you. That's not a compliment to you. You know, and so really to some extent, you know, white institutions have always kind of done a Jackie Robinson on the whole black community. When I was, when I was at this urban youth racing school event in Philadelphia and I'm driving around this track with these NASCAR drivers who are going hundred miles an hour, there was a brother who said, man, you know, I, I didn't know that we, you know, I, I wish more black people had opportunities to go into NASCAR. That would be really great. And I said, yeah, that's great. But did you know that black people actually used to own a racing league where the drivers were every bit as good as the drivers in NASCAR? Did y'all know that? How many of y'all knew that? Give me a yes or no. Anthony Martin, I want to give him credit for this. Anthony Martin, uh, who her, he and his wife, Michelle Martin, run the Urban Youth Racing School. And Anthony told me all about this whole Black NASCAR, they basically black NASCAR or the, the Negro leagues of racing they used to have. They didn't call it that. They called it something else. But literally, they would they would tour the country. They had fans all over the country. They would fill up entire stadiums, tons of black owned businesses. They had groupies that they had drivers that were famous and all kinds of stuff. Everything you get with owning a sports league was all right there. And you gave it all away. Because you want to, for some reason, you think that that man's ice is so cold that you got to be next to him. And you think that being next to him is a step up when at best it's a step sideways and at worst it's a step down. You really think that giving up everything you own 
and letting go of the overwhelming commitment that we once had to develop in our own institutions, you think that that is is inferior to uh, that the developing your own is inferior to simply getting on board and getting that one opportunity to to Jackie Robinson yourself into something else that somebody else owns. If you want to understand why you don't have any wealth, well, that's a big part of the reason why, because you don't have no institutions. When, when Harvard University, Harvard University's endowment, let me look at, let me Google this real quick. Do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up if you haven't done it yet. And uh, also, uh, don't don't forget, if you go to boyswalkins.com, you can find out more information. We're doing a Black Wealth Summit in Detroit with Herb Strather and Gary Shelton. These guys have done over a billion dollars in real estate deals. These are awesome guys. And, uh, and they're, they're hosting that event. I'm co-hosting it with them. So if you want to come to Detroit, come hang out. Just go to boyswalkins.com. The information's there. So let me let me look this up. The Harvard University endowment is, let me see, how much is it? The Harvard University endowment is $53.2 billion, $53.2 billion. Now, let's look at uh, HBCU endowments. Now, remember, right? if somebody write that number down, write down $53 billion, right? $53 billion in the chat so we can compare. So, so I want to compare, I want you to compare this to the endowments of black universities, now these numbers have these numbers better be in thousands. They better not be. This better not be the actual number. No, this that's not. It's got to be. It's got to be in thousands. Okay, calm, calm down, boys. Don't don't get overexcited. Howard University has the largest endowment of any HBCU in the country. Their endowment is seven hundred and ninety-five million dollars. So their endowment is about one sixtieth or so, maybe one seventieth. I don't know something like that of Harvard's endowment. Uh, Spelman College's endowment is half a billion dollars. Remember, compare that to $53 billion for Harvard University. Uh, Hampton University's endowment is $379,992 uh, or $379 million. I believe these numbers are in thousands. They got to be in thousands. Please let them be in thousands because if, 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 if these are the actual numbers, then it's going to really bother me because it's, it's showing. Okay, there we go. It's in thousands. Okay, thank God. All right. Um, uh, Florida A&M is, uh, rounds out the top eight, I guess, uh, with $118 million. So so my question to you is this, and, and many of you hear these stories about how HBCUs are underfunded, HBCUs can't pay the bills, HBCUs are struggling. HBCUs are basically like on the academic equivalent of welfare. Like they're basically welfare queens of academia. That's what they are. So as a result, they're constantly taking orders from other people. As a result, there is no black power uh, because you don't have any power. As a result, uh, you, you don't have you can't have true black empowerment because you don't actually own institutions that you're involved with. You're either knocking on a door to try to get into somebody else's institution or somebody's labeling something as a black institution when really the people calling the shots are not actually black people. So let's just be clear. Black power will never will never exist until black people have real power. Let me say that again. Black power will never exist until black people have real power. Do you think that, let me ask you this, give me a yes or no. Do you think that Harvard University's $53 billion endowment, do you think that that money that they received to build an endowment that massive comes from people that have graduated who are working for other people? Do you think that that money is coming from the fact that they have produced so many employees that that they can't that 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 they they lead the nation in in the creation of corporate slaves. Like, do you really think that Harvard University's fifty three billion dollar endowment comes from people that don't run businesses, people that don't run hedge funds and investment groups and everything else? Like, do, where do you think that that money comes from? Do you think that their employees that that person who's sitting under a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt, uh, who's working a job working for uh, Amazon or something? I don't know. Do you, do you think that those people are writing those big ass checks, those million dollar? $50 million, $100 million checks. 
Because because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Look, the average black college graduates graduate defaults on their student loans in the first 10 years. Did you all know that that the average black college graduate, half of them, half of all black college graduates default on their student loans. So they in a position to to fund nothing. (laughs) They can't even fund themselves. Right. So I'm not making fun of you in this category. I'm not dogging you. But part of it is because you are not trained to have the right skill necessary to build true black power. See, those big $100 million checks that Harvard University is cashing on an annual basis are coming from the people that left that university and created institutions of their own. It is coming from the bosses. It's coming from the business owners. It's coming from the wealth builders. It's coming from the people sitting on billions. It's not coming from the people who went out and just got a fancy job. That that, that People with jobs can't, can't build a $53 billion endowment. So, so, so here's the deal. When you have institutions that, that supposedly represent you and all they're doing is teaching you that the white man's ice is colder and that your job is to get up and get cozy next to him and get up under him and snuggle up underneath him and, and go and, and, and run his company for him. They're not giving you actual power. There is no black power if there's no black ownership. Do you understand what I'm saying? Give me a yes in the chat if you understand. That until you own assets, until you own institutions, until you have resources, you will never have power. The reason I know you'll never have power is because ain't nobody ever got no power when they had to beg their pimp to give them power. Ain't no hooker going to beg her pimp and have the pimp give her enough power for her to truly be independent. In order for the hooker to not be dependent on the pimp, she's going to have to get another profession. She's going to have to walk away. If she's still going to be a hoe, at least she's going to have to be her own pimp. I don't know what the answer is, but literally being a hoe to that pimp is not going to ever give her the empowerment that she truly deserves. So you will never have freedom if you ain't got no resources. And you will never have freedom if you don't have institutions. So going back to this situation with this guy, Stephen Ball, again, I want to reiterate, I have to say this over and over again, because sometimes people get mad. They think, Doc, you over hating, you over attacking people. I'm not attacking nobody, man. I'm happy for this guy. I think he's great. I, I applaud him. I read his bio. He's He went to Harvard Law School. I mean, that's impressive. You know, good for him. Let's clap for him. We, got, we should clap for that. But I think that this idea, and I read the article in blacknews.com, and they were celebrating the fact that he was the first black dean of students in, at Harvard. And I, I said, okay, so how many years did they take before they finally acknowledged black talent for that position? 200 years. Give me a yes or no. Do you think that that makes them a little racist? Do you think that that makes Harvard University a little racist? I uh, g- Give me an answer to that question. I'm going to tell you a little story. I remember years ago, I got a call from, uh, I think it was back when Roland Martin and I actually were talking. But Roland's been mad at me for a decade. He's just he's just real sensitive. I, I, I ain't mad at him, he's, but he's, he, he's just, he, he kind of cries like a girl when you don't agree with him. But anyway, uh, but I give Roland credit because Roland uh, had brought to my attention a scenario where President Obama, your black president, was, was nominating a lady named Elena Kagan for the Supreme Court. Elena was nominated, and she eventually got the nominate. The nomination, nomination went through. She's on the Supreme Court. And at that time, there were a couple of black law professors who wrote a really great article where they basically said, does this woman really represent the black community? Should black people expect better? Now, when I talk to the people from the White House, 
they gave me the whole song and dance. They said, you know, Dr. Boyce, we know that you influence black people and we really want to make sure that you understand how great Elena Kagan is for the black community. I said, oh, she is. Is she black? Well, no, she's not black, but she, okay. So sounds like, but wait a minute. I, look, I looked on her sheet. I saw she's Jewish. That's great for the Jewish community. She's a woman. That's great for women. She seems like she might be LGBT. That's good for, their, good for them. I think that's awesome. And she went to Harvard and I understand the power game at Harvard. I understand how they, they like to put these, um, you know, presidential and Supreme Court positions on lock. That's why a large percentage of your Supreme Court justices throughout history have gone to either Harvard or Yale. That's not a coincidence. It's not like they don't produce smart black people at, at you know, or smart people, period, at University of Texas and UCLA and all that. It's because there's a power game being played. You don't live in a democracy. You live in an, uh, some sort of oligarchy or something, but it's not a democracy. But anyway, so they were telling me about this lady and these black law professors, God bless them, wrote a really great article where they said, if this is the best black people can get, then we are in trouble. And they looked at her hiring record. And this lady, who was the dean at Harvard Law School, over six years, had hired 32 people. And of those 32 people, if I'm not mistaken, 30 of them were white males. One was a white female and one was an Asian man. During all that time, she had not hired one black person, not one, not even one Latino person and and uh, and not one Native American person. And I said to me, I, myself, I said, wait a minute. I said, so you trying to tell me this lady is the like she like I really am supposed to celebrate somebody who is as racist as a Klansman when it comes to excluding black people. Literally, David Duke and the KKK couldn't have a hiring record worse than that because you can't go lower than zero. And I said, what's really fascinating to me, and I told, I said this to the guy from the White House. They, they, they didn't want to talk to me after that. They, I guess, I don't know, maybe they realized I couldn't be bought or I wasn't going to, like, I don't care that Obama's kids are cute and all that. I think they're great, but I mean, I'm not going to just, you're not going to get my support because of that. You got to bring some substance, man. Uh, and and I, rem- I, said, I said, why am I the radical man? Why am I considered the radical crazy one when I literally see nothing about this lady that black people should celebrate. This lady's hiring record shows she she is a racist. Harvard University is a racist institution. And let me tell you what happened behind the scenes. This was real, real fascinating. This goes back to that whole conversation. It's not just singling out Harvard. I mean, a lot of these institutions are racist. That's why you have to have your own institution because they're always going to, they're not going to really change that much. So they'll wiggle a little bit, but they're never going to really allow in the black masses. And, the, and you're certainly not going to be able to shape the cultural narrative in these institutions because that ain't your damn house. I'm not even mad at them for wanting their culture to be represented in their institution. I'm not mad at that. The reason I'm not mad at that is because in my house, you can't come in my house and move around the furniture. You can't come in my house and and teach my kids more than I'm teaching them. You can't come in my house and sleep in the same bed with my wife. You can't come in my house and take the big piece of chicken or sleep in the master bedroom. No, if you come in my house, I might let you stay in the basement for a couple of days until you get your own place, assuming that you pay the rent or you help us pay some bills. I'm not going to bring you into my space and let you tell me how how things are going to happen in my house. So I get it. I get it. I sound like I'm mad at white people. White people get really nervous. They think that I don't like them. And I said, no, I love black people. Me loving black people does not mean I have to hate you. I'm not going to waste my time hating you because because your response, it's not your responsibility to empower black people. It's black people's responsibility to empower black people. So let's go back to Elena Kagan. Let, let me finish that story so we can make sure we get it all the way to, to the finish line here. Because y'all know how I get my ADHD kicks in and I start talking all over the place. So this, so 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 during that week and I wrote an article about it and we talked about her hiring record and I said to the White House, I said, I'm not going to support this. This is stupid. And so during that week, I swear to God. That week, Harvard University tenured its first black law professor 
in like 30 or 40 years. They, I think they had tenured Lonnie Guineer and another guy named Derek Bell, if I'm not mistaken. And then they literally, there was a black lady that got tenured that week, literally that week. And, and I, and I said, Oh, isn't it fascinating that right when Elena Kagan is trying to get black people to support this nomination, you, you just miraculously happen to give tenure to this lady. And do you know, I got an email from this lady. I don't remember her name. And I, she sent me an email. And I swear to God, this Negro literally had the audacity to say that the controversy had nothing to do with her getting the tenured position, that, that it had nothing to do. I said, I said, are you serious right now? I said, are you that damn delusional? That literally you, I said, I, I'm not stupid. I'm from academia too. And I know that they've been negotiating with you to come to Harvard for a long time. And, and I bet you that part of the reason you hadn't taken the offer was because they didn't give you everything you wanted. So this week they happened to sweeten the deal enough to bring you in. And maybe tenure was the sticking point in the negotiation. I don't know. But I said, literally, are you crazy enough to really think that it's a coincidence or that it's just your amazing qualification. You're the first qualified, amazing black person to get into this institute. You, you don't understand. It's about the institution and their racism. And, and, and really, I would even go as far to say is that they don't really want your black ass there. You got in because of opportunity. And I'm happy for you. I wish you well. I think you're very smart. I'm sure you're great at what you do. But let's not get it twisted. I am not in the business of celebrating the activities of institutions that have proven themselves to dislike black people. I'm just not. I am not so in awe of your massive power and, and, and wealth and everything else that I'm literally going to be excited <clears throat> that somebody who has historically hated me and disrespected my ancestors is suddenly trying to be my friend. Because that makes you stupid. That makes you a dummy. That makes you insecure. That's like what that's like being in the eighth grade. You know, you're in the eighth grade and you don't know, you don't know who you are, and, and you're just trying to fit in and, and you're a little bit nervous and a little scared. And so, so this bully who's been beating you up and taking your lunch money every week, suddenly he just wants to be your friend. And you're like, okay, I'm Vivo, I'm friends with Steve now. <laughs> I'm friends with Steve. No, I'm a grown-ass man. I will punch Steve in his testicles. Like, like you've been taking my money. You bet you better not try to be my friend. You better not get caught slipping because I'm gonna get all the revenge on your ass. So at the end of the day what i'm saying to you black people is you got to grow up you got to stop being the insecure little kid who is proud of being friends with the bully because the bully is popular or because you don't think highly of yourself they have mistreated you disrespected you ignored you blocked you out of these institutions for hundreds of years yet you celebrate and give them a complete pass when they finally acknowledge one of you they didn't acknowledge and they didn't acknowledge all of you they acknowledge one of you at a time they do a Jackie Robinson on your community. They do a brain drain on your people. They go to you. They go to the black community and they're not interested in your culture. They're not interested in your your people unless the culture can make them money. Right. They're not interested in bringing the masses in. They're not interested in really doing any serious infrastructural work in terms of supporting the community. They're not going to loan you a few billion dollars to build your own business. What they're going to do is they're going to cherry pick. Uh, well, this Negro is very smart. He's gifted. We're going to grab him and grab him and grab him and grab him until all the gifted black people in the community have abandoned the community because you're so happy that somebody else has, has finally accepted you. And the reason you're happy is because you never accepted yourself. The reason you're happy is because you, sir, you, ma'am, are a white supremacist. The reason that you are happy is because you believe his ice is cold. And let me let me prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. Ready for me to prove it to you? Y'all ready? I'm going to prove it to you. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> I got to clear my throat for this. 
So Harvard University or black people are celebrating the fact that Harvard just hired its first black dean of students in over 205 years. And I've seen other, you know, similar celebrations like this. Right. So let me ask you, this: have you ever heard of a white person? Have you heard of the whole white community celebrating the first black or first white person to get a, a job at an HBCU? Has a white person, have, has white, have white people ever like, like got really excited or put it in their history books? You know, this was this was one of the greatest white people ever. He, he was the first white guy to ever get accepted into an HBCU. Like, do you ever do? Have you ever seen that in your life? Has that ever happened at all? Have they ever celebrated when you accept them? The answer is no. They don't. They, they don't. They, that's not they're not going to celebrate that. But what is this implicitly saying? This is implicitly telling you that when you get into their space, it's a step up for you. But if they come to your space, that's a step down for them. That's a step down. Like, why would we want to go work around black people? My Lord Jesus, that would be terrible. That means I'm clearly in an inferior institution. See, so you and you have to be real careful about that, because if your best and your brightest are spending all their time trying to get cozy next to what somebody else has built, then get who's going to do the building in the community? Again, because they do a Jackie Robinson on you. When Jackie Robinson got plucked out of the Negro Leagues, and then a few other talented players, they lost all their talented players. They lost their most talented athletes. They lost their superstars. They lost their million-dollar brands. And now, they, you, you know, be, oh, what for what? So you can go play with the Yankees? Who said the Yankees were better than the Satchel Page and the guys in the Negro Leagues? You know what black people can do. I mean, you are the golden child in so many ways. Did anybody watch the world championships? Anybody been watching the world? Y'all need to watch the world championships. <clears throat> Did you see those Jamaican women sweep the women's 100 meter dash? Did you see? There's a white, there's this white girl that went to um, University of Kentucky named Abby Steiner. And I'm such a fan of Abby because she's such a great athlete. She broke the American record. And I've really been following her. But let me tell you what happened. So, so Jackie, uh, I'm talking to Jackie, um, Abby wins the NCAA championships. She in a dominant fashion. She breaks the, the collegiate record. She's extraordinary. So because she's white and she's fast, like that's really, you know, kind of rare to be honest. She's kind of like the Elvis Presley of, of, of track and field right now. <clears throat> she signs this massive deal for like $2 million with Puma, more than like any of the black women are receiving. Is that racist? You can say that, but you know, she's going to sell more products to white people because white people, you know, like ourselves, they, they like to see themselves do well. I don't, hate them for that. I'm not mad about that. So Abby signs a $2 million deal with Puma. And then check this out. So she goes to the world championships and it becomes just like that movie, that Damon Wayans movie, The Great White Hype, where everybody's really like thinking Abby's going to go in there and just kick some ass because they really are convinced that she's Superman. Abby gets in the finals of the women's 200 meter dash. They put her up against Shelly Ann Frazier Price and, and the sister that ran that, that <laughs> I forgot what's uh, Jackson, Sharika Jackson. Sharika Jackson runs the fastest 200 meter dash time since Flojo. And Shelly Ann, with, with her little cup, beautiful color hair and little bullet train, that's what they call it, the little, little baby bullet, is flying right behind her. The Jamaican women kicked Abby's ass. Abby had to struggle to not get last place. She 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 kind of probably got last or second to last, and so so here's my point. Here's my point. I believe that black people are very, which is magical. Like we dominate. Did you watch the men's 100 meters and 200 meter dash? I don't think there was a white guy in the final. 
There wasn't in the men's hundred. There was not a white guy in the final. The American men swept that swept that race. Fred Curley and and uh, Marvin Bracy and and Trayvon Bramell and Christian Coleman was right there. I mean, these you know, so so we're special. So my point is to say, why in the world would a people who are that special and that talented want to spend their lives running up behind somebody else? And again, this is not anti-white. This is really me being pro-black or, or loving my own. That me loving myself does not mean I'm going to even waste any time trying to hate somebody else. I ain't got to hate you in order for me to love myself. So, so, so at the end of the day, what I'm saying to you is I just I don't really get excited when we celebrate a black person being acknowledged by an institution that is historically racist. That that this guy Stephen Ball that got this job at Harvard. That that's really I, I congratulate Harvard for that. Congratulations for finally having some damn common sense and and hiring the best man for the job instead of instead of picking the best white guy for the job. You know, good for you. You will let you borrow him. We'll let you. We'll allow you to use that guy. But guess what? We got a whole bunch of geniuses. That ain't trying to go get a job at Harvard. They ain't trying to go out there and and, and 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 sit up under somebody else. They're trying to build their own. They are starting businesses in their communities. They are building wealth with their families. They are educating their own children. They are doing things that are going to allow black people to do extra, to have extraordinary achievements in the next generation and beyond. Because one of the things that people don't understand is that this wealth journey, I can sit here, I, you know, I'm a finance guy, right? I can tell you everything you need to know about wealth and stocks and, and real estate and, and, and you know, all these asset allocation. I can tell you all of that, but then none of that means anything if you don't have self-esteem. None of that means anything if you have bad cultural values. That's why I talk to you guys about what's going on with your music. I, I met a great brother. Um, what was his name? It was something Edwards uh, Jr. He's he's a violinist, and he's actually the first violinist for the Air Jordan brand, which means that his music is really cool. And um, and I don't have his name in front of me. Gosh, I wish I had his name. But he was a great guy, and we were talking about how music has a frequency, and the frequency affects how you just see the world. And and I thought about that because I was riding with my Uber driver, and my Uber driver was playing like Lil Durk and, and this music that's like, like I'm going to kill the bitch, and I'm going to stab a nigga, I'm going to shoot somebody today. And I'm like, man, if I'm listening to this all day, that's going to really affect my psyche. And I don't think black people understand that, that the people who run this music industry are doing everything they can to keep you on such a low vibrational frequency that you never know your greatness. You never find your greatness. And so and, and I'm going to bring this brother on. I wish I had his name in front of me. His last name was Edwards, I think. And he was a violinist. And um, and the, the guy, the, the uh, former CEO of the Jordan brand was there also, Larry Miller. So he's with the Jordan brand. He's a super smart guy. And uh, and I just really think that as black people. You have to understand that there's a lot of psychiatric work that is required for you to be able to really see your truest potential. Everybody needs therapy, including myself. You also need to really sit back and understand how great you are. And when you know how great you are, when you know that you got the best that the world has to offer right there in your backyard, you're not running around the world looking for love in all the wrong places. You're not. If I if I know that what I got is great, like my wife, my, I think my wife is the most beautiful woman in the world. Like she's, I literally married the woman of my dreams. I'm not kidding. Like I wrote in my journal when I first met her, I said, I've met the most beautiful woman that I've ever met in my life. I wrote this. I swear to God, I wrote this in my journal. And um, so, so because my wife is so gorgeous and so hot, I don't really need to just run the streets trying to find something else. Cause I don't even see nothing better anywhere. I just don't, you know? And, and, and so, so I would say that <clears throat> for you as black people, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're the, you're, you're the greatest. Everybody copies off you. Um, they they want to be like you. So if everybody wants to be like you, that means you're sitting on the gold mine. The gold is buried in your backyard. The gold is in the hood, in your children. 
And, and, and all these kids out here, they have so much potential. Y'all know what we do. Whatever we put our mind to anything, we become the best at it. Yes or no, if you if you agree with this fact. We become the best. When we put our mind to something, we become the absolute best at it. So, so there's no reason on earth for me to celebrate when a racist institution, again, like Harvard, but many of the, many others are the same way, I don't really celebrate when a racist institution finally acknowledges what we've known about ourselves all along. It comes off like a Christopher Columbus moment where he's like, I went to this country and discovered the, all this land, but there's people on the fucking land. How the hell are you discovering a country where there's people there already? That's stupid. That's the dumbest nonsense I've ever heard in my life. But yet we fall for that. We still got Columbus Day going on. That don't even make any sense. So they do a Jackie Robinson on you where they're plucking the best and the brightest and destroying your institutions and then all and getting you to abandon your own space. Right. Because when you're putting institutions, when you put an energy into building something for him, you're not putting energy into building something for yourself. So they do a Jackie Robinson on you and then they do a Christopher Columbus on you where they say, OK, you we're acknowledging you and you weren't important. You weren't smart until we acknowledge you and gave you our blessing. Who the hell said that your seal of approval was worth a damn anyway? Why in the hell does your acknowledgement mean anything <clears throat> when you've done nothing but prove to me that you are incapable of evaluating who the most talented person is? If you've gone 100, 200 years and never hired a black person for this job, that means that you are mentally ill. That means that you're ignorant as hell. That means that you're incapable of evaluating quality, quality talented people. And it probably means that you're racially discriminatory. Why do I celebrate being associated with you? I don't want to be friends with people who are idiots. So, so I just really think that as black people, we have to call it for what it is, man. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, you gotta, you can't have black power if you don't ever build power. And the only way you build power is by developing your own institutions. If you never do that, then you never have the power that you deserve because I, 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 nobody else is going to give it to you. Now, do me a favor. I got a couple more points I want to make on this. Do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Uh, I want to remind everybody our financial flashcards for children are back in stock. Yeah, we designed these just for black kids because I want black kids to be the most financially literate people on the planet. And so if you want to go take a look just to see what we have going on, take a go to financialflashcards.com. We have two sets of flashcards, one that covers financial topics, the other that covers entrepreneurship. And flashcards are a great way to learn things. So they even work for adults. They're very popular. So if you're interested, just go to financialflashcards.com. And uh, also, uh, just a reminder, this podcast is on Spotify apple and anywhere podcasts are delivered so if you are um if you own spotify then feel free to just look up the dr boyce breakdown on spotify and that's what you'll find so so just to give a quick summary because my food is coming on uh, uber eats so I, I'm, I'm about to go over here and eat because i'm hungry but uh so i was i was talking about stephen l ball uh, a very smart man who's from detroit who was chosen to be the harvard law school's dean of students i said harvard's dean of students i'm sorry he's harvard law school's dean of students i think that's awesome uh, maybe he seems like a decent brother. He seems very smart. He's the first uh, law school dean of students they've hired in uh, in over 200 years. Uh, he is. Uh, he's. Let's see here. He earned his bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in public policy from the University of Michigan. He was first ever to graduate college in his family. He then attended Harvard Law School, where he earned his Juris Doctorate in 2010. So he seems really bright, and I'm super happy for him. And I want to make it clear that me talking about them is not me picking on him. It is me saying, "Good job. I celebrate you." But I also want us to really understand that we need to stop just getting super excited because white folks acknowledge us or they give us little opportunities or whatever. In fact, there's a little thing that always happens. Anybody ever notice this? That when you go on um, social media and you announce that you got a new job or a fancy new position, what typically happens? What happens when you go on social media and you say, hey, everybody, I got the new job. I'm going to be the, the manager of, of nothingness at Walmart now, and I, I got this promotion. How, what, what happens? 
Oh, you get a ton of comments, congratulations, likes, like shares, like that's amazing. Oh my God, that's the way to go, right? And uh, and, and you know, and but then you know, you have people that start their own business and you don't get that same respect. You know, people just kind of you get crickets. You know, people that are jealous maybe don't want to support anything, don't even want to hit the like button. They see your post and like, I'm not gonna hit the like button because I don't want them to have more money than me, right? And so, so and it's not true all the time, right? So unfortunately, some of that's changing. You have some people out there that really have the right mindset, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, I I have even in my own family tried to form investment clubs, and I've had some relatives. I mean, broke as hell, but sit, maybe sitting on money in, in the bank that they're not that's not even getting interest. And I've been like, let's invest together. Let's grow some wealth. I got a PhD in this, you know. You know, I know where the money's at, and I and I've just I, I even I've had scenarios where I got crickets from folks that just didn't trust uh, other people in the in their own family or just didn't care you know just don't you know it's so so i've seen that right so a lot of the frustration that you have in your own family a lot of us go through that and i and a lot of this is built around culture it's built around this idea that you have been trained to believe that it's better to run somebody else's organization than it is to create your own that it's better to receive acceptance and validation from someone else's institution than it is to create your own uh you have too many black people that would rather be uh, a babysitter than to actually become a parent, because that's what you are when you uh, when you are running somebody else's business and doing it in an extraordinary way, which we know black people can do. We've been doing that since slavery. You are an economic babysitter. An economic babysitter is somebody who is running someone else's business and making a ton of money for other people, putting their kids through college and not doing it for their own, not building anything for their own. You work your butt into the ground until you grow old and you die at your desk and then they move your dead body out of your seat so they can replace you with somebody else who can also be an adequate slave and uh, and i hate saying it like that but i really think that we have to stop that i i, I really i'm not saying everybody needs to start a business but i am saying that everybody in the black community should know how to do it i'm also saying that you really have to sort of let go of whatever it is that you think you're learning in school whatever you're learning in college we must also learn economics and learn group economics and understand ownership and power as a key to power in this country. If you do not understand that, then you will never have power. You will always be begging. You're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to be mad. The best conversation in the world, if you ever want to have a five hour conversation, get a bunch of black people together who all work for white people and say something like, let me tell you about what these white people are doing to me on my job. And then you'll have a five hour conversation of abuse survivors <laughs> who are all talking about, who are getting drunk, talking about all the things that are going on at their job. And I'm not making fun of it. Some of you are in that category now, and I totally get it. I'm totally with you. I, I totally understand. But what I'm really saying to you is that there is nothing that anybody else has accomplished that you cannot accomplish yourself. You also have to get rid of your addiction to the bright, shiny objects and these well-established brands and corporations that are out here. Because remember, they started off raggedy just like you did. I mean, you know, you got your little business. You ain't making no money yet. You feel a little bit embarrassed because somebody else got a new job with 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 some big corporation with Amazon or something. And you're feeling insecure. You're feeling like what you have isn't worth anything. But you know what? It's yours. You own it. You control that. You know, and, and remember that a lot of these corporations, if you look up the history of these corporations and these institutions, including Harvard, you'll realize they started off a rick, really shaky footing. I mean, I read the whole history of Harvard going all the way back to 1636, I believe. And Harvard, it took 100 years for Harvard to really get some momentum. 
And John Harvard wasn't the founder. He stepped in and gave them a little bit of money and, a, and some library books that made them a little more legitimate. But Harvard was raggedy for about 100 to 150 years. Harvard didn't become Harvard overnight. So what I'm saying to you is that some of you are developing your own Harvard universities right now, and you don't know it because you have not gained that ability to see the vision beyond your own death. Or because you think that because your favorite rapper makes you think that money's supposed to be fast, just like women in cars, that you think it's supposed to happen real quick. You want to shine so bad because your self-esteem is low and you feel like you can only feel good about yourself when you shine in and driving a nice car and got the big fancy whatever, that you don't have the patience to actually do the, the hard, raggedy work necessary to be the first leg on a relay team that's going to last for three or 400 years. So I want you to really dig in your heels. I want you to really think about what the black community can look like in 100 years. I want you to think about 200 years. I want you to think about 300 years, because that's how long it takes to make a Harvard into a Harvard. Harvard's $53 billion endowment didn't happen with six months of hard work. They went through 100 years of raggediness before they even began to even look like a university based on what I've read about their history. So, so in, overall, what I'm saying to you is that in our community, we have to have some new value systems. We have to get rid of terms that I hear far too often, uh, terms that make me sick. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I'm, I'm probably going to offend somebody. So I hope I can say this and still be loved. But I swear to God, when I hear terms like diversity and inclusion, I want to vomit. Like I, just in case you want to know, if you ever say those terms to me in public, I'm probably throwing up in my own mouth and pretending like I'm okay. I'm going to put some gum in my mouth because my breath will stink because I just vomited in my own mouth. I hate terms like diversity and inclusion. It don't mean anything to me. <clears throat> it's like, it literally, my brain, I give you a blank stare when you say those things, first of all, corporations are typically lying about diversity. They just all say it because it sounds good. And then inclusion. I'm like included in what? Like, what does that what does that even look like? And what it sounds to me is it sounds like you're giving me a handout. It sounds to me like you're saying, hey, if you're if you act good and you behave, we might include you in something that's going to make you better than what you already are. We're going to validate you. We're going to give you a chance. I'm not a little boy. I don't want you to give me a chance. I don't want to be the person who receives an opportunity. I want to be the one who creates one. I don't want to be an economic slave. I don't want to be an economic soldier. I don't want to be an economic beneficiary. I want to be an economic God. An economic God is a person because we got God inside of us. I believe the black man is part God. I believe that we have some stuff inside of us where when we are really at our best, when we are really operating on the highest frequency, when we are really focused and really determined, we gain that ability to manifest and create opportunities and possibilities where there are none. And, and, and black women have that same ability. One example of it is when you see these single moms that know how to somehow feed a whole family when they got $18 in the bank account. You know, they, you literally create something out of nothing. That's your water into your, 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 your water into wine moment where you're able to literally manifest something uh, because you either have the necessity and the urgency to do it, or you have such a hunger and an insatiable desire to get it done that nothing is going to stop you. So what I'm saying to you is that at the end of the day, I want your children to be economic gods. What does an economic God look like? Well, let me show you what an economic God looks like. And that's how we're going to end this conversation. An economic God is something that's very familiar to you because the white man has always been your economic God. Think about this. You go to church, and you get your little Bible because you're stressed out financially. Everybody's stressed out financially. Everybody has financial anxiety. My wife is a therapist and we talk about the anxiety and stuff all the time. And it's just all over the place. We're just traumatized like crazy. And, and so you go to church and you pray to white Jesus that you're going to get uh, you know, better opportunities, that, that your financial problems are going to go away, uh, that you're going to find a way to pay the bills. You're going to get the promotion. Maybe you're going to get the job and you're praying, right? You're praying to God 
that you're going to get these opportunities. And typically they connect to economics. So, well, who is the person that has the ability to manifest all that for you? Who's the one who's the one that can give you those opportunities you're dreaming of? When you say it was my dream to be in the NBA. Well, that means that the owner of your team is, is your economic God. He can say, you know, you've been a good Negro and you're very talented and I can make good money off you. So I'm going to bless you, my son with an NBA contract. So then you go up there crying with your mama wearing some tacky suit on draft day and you, you're sitting there and you're saying, oh my God, I've been dreaming about this since I was a little boy. I've been praying about this. And I get it. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I promise you I'm not. But I'm saying to you that, that you have economic, white the white man to some extent, and I'm like, this is not anti-white. I promise you it's not, but it's just pro-reality. He's your economic God. He's the one that gets to say, I like that boy. He's He's got some spunk. I'm going to give him an opportunity. And then suddenly you feel better about yourself because this, their economic God has blessed you. So what I really want you to understand is that I understand where economic gods come from. I'm kind of an economic God. I've been a boss for a long time. I've made millions of dollars and I have a PhD in finance. I've trained economic gods. I understand, uh, you know, so, so I'm, I'm like the God of gods in that way. I know where all this comes from. And, and so what I really want you to do, if you trust me, if you believe anything that comes out of my mouth, I want you to understand that there are certain specific skills and tools that you can give your children while they're young and resources you can give them while they're young that will give them the ability to be economic gods in the future. It might be hard to do for yourself if you're a little older and, you know, maybe it's it's going to take time. But if you really have a vision and you commit to that vision and you give your children just a few things, if you give them uh, some skill. Right. Make sure they know they understand how to build wealth as well as they know how to dribble a basketball and throw a football. They understand that owning real estate is better than renting. They understand that running the business is better than actually just working for other people for the rest of your life. They understand that being a producer is just as important, if not more important than being a consumer. Basic things like that. Then they have the skill and knowledge to understand how to position themselves as an economic guide. If you also invest for your children, I mentioned the $5 a day investment plan for years. You can have it for free. The book is free. It costs money on Amazon, but you don't have to pay for this book. It's, it, you, you go to, just go to my website. It's right there. And, and, and you do little things like that. You invest for the child so that when they gain this God-like ability to manifest, they've got some resources backing up their extraordinary ideas. So, so they have the knowledge and the ideas and they get in the vision and then they have the resources to execute that vision. And then lastly, most importantly, you got to give them some courage. You know, I'm going to tell you a smart black kid that grows up with balls and brains and money can't be stopped. He can't be stopped. If you got balls and brains and resources, you're going to win. And if you love yourself, then you're, that's going to shape what you do with that godlike power. You know, the, so culture <clears throat> is everything. That's why I take such great offense when BET is telling you that we're representing the culture. No, you're not. Ain't nothing good ever going to come out of a black culture where you're celebrating the beating and hating on women and, and, and killing black men and getting high on drugs and throwing all your money away and being as ignorant as you can possibly be. Ain't no, that is not black culture. That's, that's idiot culture. That's dumbass culture. That's dead man's culture. That's prison culture. That is not black culture. So stop that BET. Take the word black out of your name. Just call yourself prison, the prison television network. I don't know what you want to call yourself, but you shouldn't even have the word black in your name because you're not even run by black people. So it's at the end of the day, if you give your child those things, you give them some knowledge, you give them some resources, you give them the right culture and the right value so that when they get this power, this godlike power, they know exactly where to point the gun. See, that's the problem. Sometimes you get somebody to get some money and they get some knowledge and then they're, they're, they're aiming the gun right at their mother's face 
or they're over there taking their, their greatness and they're giving it to somebody else. They're like, hey, mama, I'm the first black man to be hired at Google in the engineering department when your dumbass could have become the black Elon Musk. You could have been a multi-billionaire in your own community, creating 100,000 jobs for your people, but you're taking pride because somebody acknowledged you who's probably not even as smart as you are. Understand your greatness and grab onto that and manifest that and believe in that. Operate on that frequency. That is how you win. That is how you become an economic god. So, so at the end of the day, I want to reiterate before I finish up, my food is almost here, so I'm about to go eat. I got I got to usually relax and calm myself down after our conversations. But I had to have this conversation. I was in Philly and I said, you know, this is really pissing me off. And I really want to share this. I want to reiterate that I'm not upset with the brother who got this job at Harvard. I'm really happy for him. He sounds like he's super talented and uh, and hopefully he'll create great opportunities for other people. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. But to me, that's not that's you're not living in the penthouse when you get these opportunities. The penthouse is on another floor above the floor that you think is the highest floor. You got to the eighth floor and you think that you're on the roof. No, there are people that live on the roof. Those are the economic gods of this society. And I want you to train your child to land his helicopter on the top of the roof and not feel like he got to start from the bottom and work his way up. You know, forget that started from the bottom. Now we hear, no, your kids need to start from the top and say, we, now we control all of this. Now we, we we're, Now we own all of this. Now we're running the top. <laughs> we started at the top. We got here. And now this whole area is contained and controlled because because we are all manifesting our godlike power to create the world that we want to live in. That's how you get real black power. You cannot have black power until black people get real power. Right now, you don't have it. You'll get it maybe in 50 to 100 years. Our kids will get it after we're dead. So that's what we need to invest in. That is our job. Give me a yes in the chat if you understand what I'm saying. Give me a yes if you feel if you if you if you agree with any of this and give me a yes if you're going to do something different. I want you to consider doing something different in your life or in the lives of your kids as a result of this conversation. Because if you don't change something, if you don't make that move, then all this conversation was a waste of everybody's time. It was a waste of your eardrums. It was a waste of my voice. And I'm not here to waste time. I'm here to actually see if we can be effective as a people because I know that we have it in us. So thank you for your yeses. I'm glad to see that you're going to do this. So now let's all go get to work. I'm going to get out of here, guys. Uh, it's time to go eat. And uh, once again, I want to remind you, if you go to boycewalkins.com, uh, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, the Black Wealth Builders Summit is happening in Detroit, July 29th through the 31st. Herb Strather and Gary Shelton, two great guys, who oh, two amazing OGs who've done over a billion dollars in deals, are going to be host co-hosting that with the Black Business School. Also, uh, with the financial flashcards, you can actually take a look at those uh, on my website as well. And uh, there's some other stuff going on, but I can't remember everything right now. So I'm going to let you guys go. And it was great to see you. And I will be back again soon. So God bless you. Love you. And, and uh, take it easy. Talk to you later. Peace. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Here we are.